streaming thoughts where we stream our thoughts and movies, TV, and all things nerdy. I am Daniel. And I am Nathan. And welcome to our podcast. So Nathan, what is on the news docket today? Oh, it is the week of sequel announcements. Yes, it is. <laughs> so many sequels. The second highest grossing comic book adaptation and the highest grossing superhero movie of 2020 is getting a sequel. Oh, and which movie is that? We've had like two comic book adaptations this year. <laughs> I was making a joke because, you know, 2020, we've seen barely any comic book heroes. <laughs> right. If like Wonder Woman and Black Widow had been released as they planned, that statement would not be true, but... <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately, that's not been the case. Going all the way back to our first podcast episode, Bloodshot is officially getting a sequel. Nice. That is, I guess, a little expected. I mean, the movie wasn't terrible, from what I remember. It had some pretty interesting concepts. I just think that it failed in the execution of it all, but overall, I thought it was had a pretty decent groundwork to work from. Yeah, and I'm going to be really curious to see how they come up with a sequel for this, mainly because they didn't really leave it much open in the world as to what exactly his role would be, but, I mean, obviously, the comic book probably has a lot more they can draw from than just what they gave us in the uh, movie itself. Yeah, exactly. And that'll be interesting to see if they bring different writers and different directors to see where they can take this property. Other news along the similar lines. The Umbrella Academy has been officially renewed for a third season. All right, that's great. I just hope that we actually get something new this time around, which it looks like we will, but... They definitely have a much newer setup than the previous season, so I'm looking forward to it, I think. I think we'll be good. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. This one is in the rumor category. Do you remember Peter Stormare? Yeah, yeah, of course. Peter Stormare is great. Right, and you remember his uh, role as Lucifer, right? Yeah, in the Constantine movie with Keanu Reeves. Right. He posted to his own Instagram account a picture of himself as Lucifer with the caption, sequel in the works. Wow. Which is really odd. I thought that they had already signed off on a reboot of Constantine and were working on that. I mean, we kind of had a reboot of Constantine as far as in the TV, you know, area. Right. I mean, there's the TV Constantine. That's true. Yeah. I remember hearing that there was a reboot of the Constantine movie in the works. So that's why I think it's weird that he's like saying sequels in the works. I'm like, what? Yeah, that's really weird. I wasn't even thinking that there was going to be a sequel or a reboot of Constantine considering that the TV show didn't really do well they couldn't even get through a first season it was canceled like after episode 11 or something I never even saw anything on the TV show other than his portrayal of Constantine in the the time travel DC one Legends, Legends of, of Tomorrow. Tomorrow yeah but a lot of people are wondering if maybe a sequel might be in the works and might be possible because when the first one was made, people didn't really have all that high of opinion on Keanu Reeves. When did Constantine come out? Was it after The Matrix? Yeah, I mean, it was after The Matrix, but people still didn't really have much of an, a view of Keanu being a all that much of a big name action star actor. But a lot of people now are wondering, after his high-end performance and popularity in the one of your favorite movie franchises, John, John Wick... Wick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If that has made it more accessible that he might be 
a higher draw for a Constantine sequel than he would have been back in 2005. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the success of Keanu Reeves in this last few years, right, with John Wick kind of kicking off a whole nother era of Keanu Reeves in action films and just kind of revitalizing Keanu Reeves' career after The Matrix, right? I think that has a lot to do with it. I'm excited, actually, because I actually quite enjoyed the Constantine movie with Keanu Reeves. I thought Keanu Reeves was a great choice for John Constantine in terms of casting. Yeah, I generally enjoyed the movie, but you have to admit, Keanu Reeves' credibility as an actor has certainly gotten way up since 2005. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Keanu Reeves has always been this actor that is just very well-loved. He doesn't have, like, a ton of range, but he's just, what a great soul of a man, and that's why people love him. (laughs) We are getting some leaks about where the Asgardians of the galaxy are going to be ending up. Oh, and where are they going to end up? Chris Pratt has confirmed that Star-Lord is going to be in Thor Love and Thunder. Interesting. Although kind of expected, considering that they all left together at the end of Avengers Endgame. They are going to start shooting Thor Love and Thunder in Australia in January is what the schedule has on. Wow, all right. Hopefully, I mean, I'm not entirely sure how Australia has been, how well Australia has been handling the virus, but I hope that it's safe enough for everybody to be able to to shoot well not as good as new zealand but better than us yeah (laughs) we're doing pretty bad you guys it doesn't take a lot to be better than 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 america in addition to the sequel to a quiet place that is already in the works jeff nichols is going to direct a spin-off from the quiet place oh interesting there's not a whole lot of word as to how it's going to classify as a spin-off rather than a sequel other than it's not going to feature the same characters Sure. So no Emily Blunt or anyone else who's already been in. Right. So I'm kind of curious how he's going to tell his own story in that kind of universe if it's not the same characters. I mean, are you just going to have more of the same of what we got in the first one? Or is he, does he have some idea of telling a very unique original story in this world where you can't speak? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. No, that'll be good. I think, I think it'll be interesting to see another perspective of someone else. Hopefully they can pull it off without it getting formulaic right because that's the thing that you don't want with these movies is to get formulaic because this is what kills them to begin with exactly i mean the quiet place was a fairly unique original take on that kind of alien invasion horror suspense sort of thing so Mm -hmm. the last thing that you want is a formula that just makes you go uh more the same you know exactly i mean sort of what happened to paranormal activity right i mean it was a really interesting and cool concept at first it was a really extremely low budget film it killed it at the box office considering the amount of money that they actually invested in the film (laughs) and then they made i don't even know how many there are by now but you know there isn't that much of a difference between the fifth one if there is a fifth one and the first one because they all follow the same template they tried to expand the universe a little bit with some of them and because there's a few other movies that are in the paranormal universe that aren't paranormal, but it all kind of just blended together at some point. Yeah. And I have a question for you, Dan. With Halloween over, did you put up your Christmas decorations right away? <laughs> no. What? Christmas does not officially begin until Thanksgiving is over. We still have that holiday to go through. You don't just go straight from Halloween to Christmas? <laughs> 
<laughs> I tell you who did though. Halloween Town. Those guys totally went from Halloween to Christmas just like that. Now we are not talking about the Disney original movie Halloween Town. We are talking about Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. Seeing as we're recording this right smack in the middle of Christmas and Halloween, why not the Nightmare Before Christmas? A movie that you could argue could be both. A good old classic Tim Burton movie that given the original stress with the production of this i was actually rather surprised that this movie was put onto disney plus yeah this is this is a great ad for it also you mentioned tim burton and i want to get right into that because tim burton's name appears on this movie it is called tim burton's nightmare before christmas so one would assume based on that that Tim Burton directed this movie and he did not direct this movie. He did not. I mean, it is a Tim Burton movie. He came up with the idea and pitched it to Disney and it was originally scheduled to be a Disney production in their line of Disney musicals, such as Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast and all of that. But it was never directed by Tim Burton. No, it was not directed by Tim Burton. I mean, this movie was actually directed by Henry Selleck. And the reason why Henry Selleck was picked is because Henry Selleck has a very similar style of filmmaking to Tim Burton. And also even Selleck himself has said that he was really going after Tim Burton's vision, right? He wanted to do what Tim Burton would have done. And this is why this feels like such a Tim Burton movie, even though he didn't direct it. And the production issues that they had with us was was it was sold as a up-and-coming Disney musical when the executive producers apparently first saw the dailies for it. They ended up being rather horrified by how it looked. They're like, what? We can't put Disney's name on this. <laughs> this is way too creepy for the kids. Like the opening song where the... I think he said something along the lines of he's a clown that can remove his face. Yeah. Originally, the first shot of that when he pulled off his face, it was all the blood and the muscles and the bone and everything else under there. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Uh... And then they had to go back for a reshoot of that where it was all clockwork stuff. And they thought that was still too creepy. So then it just became this empty, hollow shell. In the final cut. <laughs> That's way less creepy. Having nothing behind your face is somehow less creepy than everything else. So that's part of the reason why it was marked as Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, because originally it was going to be Disney's Nightmare Before Christmas as a heartwarming musical of a Halloween skeleton learning the true meaning of Christmas. <laughs> right, but this was Tim Burton's story, wasn't it? I mean, didn't he write these characters? Yeah, he was the writer for it, so it was just... Not what the executives at Disney were signing on for when they maybe just only sold them on the pitch of it and didn't have it fully written yet or what the case was. But they were expecting a completely different film than what was uh, originally came out. Yeah, for sure. No, and this movie, by the way, came out on October 29th of 1993. That is the same year, the same year that Jurassic Park came out. So that told you the state of computer graphics and what we could do at the time. Now, this movie had a budget of $18 million, so there wasn't Jurassic Park levels of money for CG in this film. Well, they purposely went for the claymation. I rather enjoyed the fact that this does have the claymation. It gives it a weirdly beautiful, yet slightly creepy feel throughout the whole part of it. I think that's why it keeps you in the Halloween feel, is because it does have that unnerving unreal aspect of it and i think that that choice to go with claymation right and what they were able to do in this film 
quite honestly, is a freaking masterpiece of claymation work and claymation animation as well. I mean, this is just amazing. I mean, do you know how long it took to make this movie? No, how long did it take? Three years. Yeah? It took three entire years to make this movie. For anyone else out there who doesn't know, movies don't usually take three years to make. Well, I mean, but at the same time, you have to figure every single second is like what's... And that's another thing. They shot this at 24 frames. 24 frames, yeah. So that's the thing. Every second is 24 frames. So they have to adjust, set, take a picture, adjust, set, take a picture 24 times just to get a single second of footage. When you get the full runtime of one hour and 16 minutes, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of time. Actually, it's it's worse than that. For every second of film, they had to adjust the puppet 12 times. So for one minute of film, that amount of work that went into creating just or shooting just one minute of film equaled about a week. A week's worth of work. And you know what's even worse than that? Is that if something went wrong during shooting. So if you were like a, if you were going to shoot like a 900, you know, sequence. And if something went wrong at shot 865. Like all of a sudden you notice you put a fingerprint on the clay. Exactly. Or the light went off, for example. Or the light, the, the lights weren't set properly this time. Or the camera wasn't positioned right back to exactly where it needed to be. Any of those things would mean that they have to go back all the way to the beginning and start over. And honestly, I think this is like like probably one of the last times that we actually see real claymation work too because we've had a few movies since then that look like they are made of using claymation but it's computer generated or it's aided a lot by cg and this movie had you know more than 230 sets were made for this film the sets weren't also small they occupy like nine sound stages or something like that it's about about how many sound stages they took this movie was pre-made by the way with music and voice during the storyboard phase now let's talk a little bit about the music on that because oftentimes when you think back in this movie is it just me or do you kind of forget that it was a musical yeah you know i'm not usually a musical person i don't like them very much but this one was actually a really fun one because it sort of stood in this midpoint between feeling like a musical and not feeling like a musical and i rather enjoy that see for me i tend to forget that it's a musical because i think there's like two songs that are really memorable this is halloween and what's this and those songs are very memorable you really remember them all the other songs that's just basically took what tim burton wrote as just the general dialogue and they turned it into a song yeah they set it to music and it's just like that's not really a mark of a good musical a musical even if you are turning what you're saying into a song the song is supposed to enhance and more highly portray the emotions and the feelings that just words alone can't do and i really don't think that they succeeded in most of the songs i mean as i said what's this is a great example where they capture that but other ones when jack just starts singing about how sad he is of halloween being the same every year i'm like i completely forgot that was even a song (laughs) yeah absolutely i think there's some classic musical sequences there but for the most part they're very small there's there's a very small amount and in our case you know the ones we could easily identify are the you know that this is halloween and what's this and for me you're right those are the most memorable ones i'm trying to think about the other ones and i really can't think of them now what do you think of the overall premise of the pumpkin king of halloween jack skeleton stealing christmas (laughs) 
I thought that was really interesting, right? The take on complacency, the take on like boredom and all that kind of stuff that we sometimes as adults can very easily relate to, right? And, and I like that they went for something that in 1993, for example, this is way before Finding Nemo and Pixar and all the other folks that were writing these stories with these more adult themes kind of built into them, right? It was really great. I really liked that premise of it and what drove Jack to do all these things and move forward with trying to steal Christmas and trying to bring Christmas to Halloween Town and all that. And generally speaking, the overall idea of it is rather clever because Jack was really trying to capture the warm, happy, good time feelings he got from visiting Christmas Town, while the Halloween Town people just weren't getting it. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite sequences, by the way, of everything Christmas was just creepy. <laughs> you know, it was just creepy Christmas, and I loved it. I thought it was so great. Yeah, just everybody on the Halloween Town was just like, wait, what's this? Why are we doing this? Oh, we can put creepy things inside of presents it's like no 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 they're, they're supposed to be happy things like a doll and a ball and they're like <laughs> so you want reindeer <laughs> got it there's really cute adorable animals nope skeletons we're gonna make a skeleton reindeer it's gonna be super creepy and it's gonna be great nothing cute about it nothing adorable just creepy but ultimately he did capture in himself his feeling of halloween he was he had no malice in what he was doing i mean no for sure even as he was delivering these presents he thought he was doing this really great and wonderful thing for people yeah exactly but the question i was always kind of wondering about is when they did their halloween celebration their halloween celebration was totally in halloween town but when they go to christmas he travels to the quote real world How come they don't travel to the real world to spread the joy of Halloween? Right. <laughs> exactly. For me, that represented more of what each world represented, right? Because the, when he went to the forest, there were other holidays as well, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I want to go through the uh, St. Patrick's store. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a very different holiday for Halloween Town if he had gone through those doors. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what it's like on the uh, through the Thanksgiving door where just people are just gorging themselves on feasts every single day. <laughs> right? What would a Thanksgiving Halloween celebration in Halloween Town would be? Yeah. An Easter? Oh my god, I can already imagine like snakes coming out of the eggs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love some of the different characters in this one too. Like going back to what we were talking about with the time and effort that it takes for doing this claymation. Sally, when she would undo her stitches to lose a hand or lose an arm, you know, the leaves were floating out and she was trying to keep pick him up and stuff him back in. I mean, that was just an amazingly detailed work. Right. Like, look, honestly, I want to say something about this movie. I don't think this movie would have been made today. You know, if you think about the budget and the amount of work that they have to make, do you think that this movie would be made in 2020? I mean, if we exclude the pandemic. If someone were to come up today with a pitch of something like this kind of action and this kind of animation style, they'd be like, okay, well, here's your uh, server farm. Start rendering claymation on that. It would be 100% computer graphics. Granted, our computer graphics have gotten really good and it would look just like claymation, but it would probably not quite capture it because even though the motion is nice and smooth and flowing, you can still get the sense 
that this is a puppet that was adjusted 12 times. Every second, there's a certain lack of smoothness to the way that they move that a computer animation would just perfectly have. Right, not only that, but there's a certain level of detail that real puppets have that CG puppets don't have, right? I mean, think about the way that light refracts on an object when you have a real light with a real object shining on it, right? Versus a computer graphics puppet that has to simulate that, right? And it has to get it just right. And those small details, you know, are really what give this movie, for example, that edge ahead of anything that would have come out that year or any year subsequent, in CG, I mean, it's just, it, it all comes down to, again, the amount of work that they put into this movie and no farm of computers is going to ever compete with that, with the amount of human labor that went into this and the amount of detail that was put into it. I mean, no contest. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to jump off that a little bit and talk a little, some more of the supporting characters. Mm-hmm. What was your thought on... The Sally and evil scientist dynamic. Ooh, that's a tough one. There's a certain a certain level of problematic elements to that dynamic that I found, but I think that the character of of Sally, I thought, was a really interesting and, and really well written character based off of the experiences. Which you know, granted, they didn't really go into it too much, but I think that, that those scenes that they had for her well were pretty well written, and I mean, everything about that was just well executed. I like that both Jack and Sally were looking for, for a similar thing, but both of them were coming at it from very different points. Yeah. At a certain point, I think the evil scientist actually likes being poisoned. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he talks about she slipped deadly nightshade into his food and then also talks about how the effects wear off. It's like, wait, the effects of death wear off? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was great. I think that it was a a really fun aspect of this movie, right? They made fun of a lot of really morbid things, but how they integrated that into the writing was really clever. It was very this uh, sort of like offhand remark, but you know, not really centered around it, like no big deal. And I think that that is what I think really helped this level of humor when you can sort of in passing mention this really funny stuff that when you really think about it, it's like, wait, he kind of likes to die (laughs) a lot. <laughs> it's like you know she already poisons you and she apparently keeps a jar of nightshade labeled as nightshade in the kitchen i mean <laughs> if you're still having her make your food that's on you you must be enjoying something about this experience and this dynamic right <laughs> exactly it is uh yeah like i said a little problematic in some certain aspects of that it's funny but again, it's a little disturbing when you really start to think about what he's up to. And I mean, he's creating people with free will and then treating them as possessions and objects, which... Yeah, that's an, which is another... Has all those negative connotations to it. Right. I mean, and his name is Evil Scientist, but he's not really portrayed as an evil that needs to be defeated in the course of the whole movie. I mean, ultimately, that dynamic was never 
truly resolved other than the fact that at the very end, suddenly he has a different assistant pushing him around on his wheelchair. Yeah, which is an interesting aspect of it, right? That they chose to do that. Like Sally, you know, seemed like she had her own enemy to defeat, but it that really wasn't the case, right? It wasn't really written for that. We think there was a little bit of, in, of an inconsistency in terms of writing for that, right? Of how they presented the doctor at first as Sally's villain, but at the end, it was sort of like forgotten about it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, and by the way, he set her free and she's allowed to be her own person now because he has a new uh, assistant. And it's just like, well, but why? There's no character growth that really did it. And there's no, the evil scientist learned the true meaning of Christmas and set her free and got someone else to do his work for him or anything like that. It was just all of a sudden like, oh, I guess if Jack likes her, I can't really go against Jack, so. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And and again, I just I just think that they there was a little bit of a missed opportunity there, or at the very least, it should have changed the introduction of the scientist as being more overprotective and caring rather than this jerk if you would have done it that way then maybe you could have at the end it would have felt you would have felt different about the character and the resolution of it yeah now going back to the music this movie was just done in such a different way because of you know the type of movie this is right but danny elfman the composer of this movie did a lot more than composing i mean this guy did the singing voice of jack skellington he also did the voice of barrel the clown with a tearaway face so he did a lot which is really interesting to see this right as far as a composer being so involved in the film something i thought was interesting about danny often being a composer on this is he's done a number of different works like obviously he made the theme song for the simpsons he was the composer for the johnny depp version of charlie and the chocolate factory all of his music in these different elements have a certain automatic Danny Elfman feel. You hear those songs, and you're like, oh yeah, that's Danny Elfman. Even Family Guy in their Blue Harvest, they made a joke about that where John Williams gets killed by stormtroopers or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, oh great, now we have to finish this thing with Danny Elfman. And they played the same Star Wars music, but with Danny Elfman's signature style to it. It's It was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. But in this one... None of the songs seem to have that Danny Elfman feel to it. Yeah. If I just listened to these songs I didn't know that Danny Elfman was a composer, I wouldn't pick him out of it. And you know what's interesting about this movie with regards to Danny Elfman and his conducting and writing for the songs is the fact that they didn't really have a script when they were doing the score and when they were doing the music. So it was a really interesting process for Danny to go to the writers, to Tim and to director, right? And ask them, like, when is the next scene? What is the next scene about? What are, what's happening next? What are they feeling? Okay, got it. Now let's go back and make a song about this, you know? And then like a few weeks later, like, okay, tell me what's going to happen again so I can write the next piece. <laughs> and this progressive sort of piecemeal process, right, is very different from how other scores on films are typically done. I think that might have influenced as to why this didn't feel like a Danny Elfman you know, score. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the music, the score, the composition is usually one of the last things that you work on. But in this case, because of the slow progress of the claymation, they can't just quickly re-edit a drawing on the mouth to make it line up with what the person's saying or singing or doing. You know, they kind of had to follow opposite on that, where the 
you have almost the lead in with all these other elements. Right. I mean, which is why the storyboard phase contained music and uh, and voice, right? Because they had to use the storyboard as a way to know when the character is going to open their mouth, when they're going to say something, where they're going to be placed, so that when you get to the actual set and all that, you have a better template to follow. But that's it, right? Yeah, I mean, when you follow behind the scenes or deleted scenes of animated work, you can see the voice actors are adding their voice to animation that is already 90% done. Right. It's just that final cleanup, the final steps that they're going to do in post-production to make it look perfect. But they can't do that with this one. Yeah, they can't. I mean, it's just not possible. <laughs> so <laughs> so I think this is one of the other things that about this movie, right, that just make it so unique and such an interesting watch. I mean, if you haven't seen A Nightmare Before Christmas, I mean, they, if anything, just a really great achievement in terms of claymation animation and all that now i heard and i wanted to ask you did you know that there was a narration for a prologue and epilogue that was recorded there was a particular person who recorded the narration for this prologue and epilogue they were not used in the film did you know about this? I did not know about this, but I'm wondering, are you going to say Tim Burton recorded a prologue and epilogue for it? No. Okay, so who was it? Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard? Yeah. Captain's Log. Stardate. <laughs> oh my ago. god. I really want him to have begun. These are the voyages of Jack Skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been great. But it's really interesting. I didn't really know about that. I'm very curious to hear what those prologue and epilogues sounded. Yeah, I wonder if those are out there somewhere. That kind of stuff, if not actually available on the film or specials, usually gets leaked eventually somehow. Like Patrick Stewart, when he was first setting up for playing Jean-Luc Picard, because Jean-Luc is a French name and he's supposed to be from France, he originally was using a French dialect for it. So there's a recording out there that has slipped of him doing the opening credits narration of Boldly Going Where No Man's Gone Before <laughs> with a French dialect. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't know about that. That is so cool. I want to go and look that up. You can find that. It's, just, it's hilarious to listen to. You're like, it's so cringe really bad. You're like, yeah... Yeah, I'm glad they just made the French guy English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh man, I'm going to totally look for that. So yeah, I'm going to have to search around. I'm curious what the prologue and epilogue was. I, I'm going to I'm gonna dig for that now that I know that it exists. <laughs> yeah, it's super interesting. How about the villain of the movie? You know, was there one? I mean... Well, I mean, the boogeyman. I know, but like, it just didn't feel like there was this presence from this character. I mean, not to say that there was in presence felt in the scenes where they shot with Oogie Boogie, but I just felt like overall, there wasn't any... Conflict? Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't actively going against Jack, or he wasn't actively fighting against it. He was just, had this vile, you know, evil thing. He wanted to torture and kill Santa Claus just because... He could, I guess. He didn't really have much in the way of motivation for what he was doing, other than them saying, like, yeah, don't don't let Oogie Boogie find out about Santa Claus because he's going to be not so great. Right. Exactly. I just felt like, again, that lack of conflict, that lack of animosity between the two that wasn't really shown on screen as much, not until the very end, I think that that really didn't sold me well on the Oogie Boogie being the villain or having this prominent role of it, which is, it was kind of Star Trek-y of Tim Burton to sort of 
go more with an inner conflict taking more center stage as opposed to this external conflict of Oogie Boogie. I mean, the inner conflict does work well because you do see Jack kind of learning and growing throughout the course of the movie, you know, trying to get out of his rut of doing the same thing every year. And he uses this idea of Christmas to kind of recharge his batteries and gets back onto it. And after he's crashed and he, in the graveyard and he rips off his torn up and burnt Santa suit, he's like, you know what? I am the Pumpkin King. I know what I need to do. This has given me so many new ideas for next year's Halloween. Honestly, it's like, yeah, do that. Do your Halloween Christmas idea. Bring it to the real world. You know, scare the little children on Halloween. You're going to become great. <laughs> great idea. We should do this next year. Just on our holiday, not Santa's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you think about the set and the very few things that were animated? Which parts were animated? Well, the fire, for example. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean, not exactly animated, but it was computer graphics were used for that. For the most part, just because it was so true to what they were doing with the claymation, the few aspects of it that were not claymation just kind of blended in and disappeared. Now that I think about it, when they're trying to shoot Jack Skeleton down, the explosions, I'm pretty sure, weren't claymation at all. And similar with the clouds he was flying through, all of that was imposed after the fact. Yeah, it's a special effect called overlay, or just overlay the whatever thing you want over your film. So there were those aspects, but they you didn't really think about it. Although, in the real world, the thing that I thought was really interesting is they animated the kids and the kids' faces, but all the adults, they always hid the adults' faces. Yeah, that's so weird. Why did they do that? Why do you think they did that? I don't know. It's, it's such an interesting take on it. Like, seeing the kids but not seeing the parents or the adults is a very Charlie Brown peanut sort of thing to do, right? Like, all those Snoopy holiday specials that are out there. You don't, never see the parents' faces. You always see just the lower torsos walking around. I always felt that in the peanut specials that was done in order to put everything at the kids' level. This is a cartoon. We are making this cartoon for kids to watch and enjoy. So we're putting everything at their level. I think, ultimately, that was... What they're showing is that this is really, you know, focused on the kids in the human world and what the kids are experiencing, not the adults as characters. This is a fantasy for kids. Yeah, I can see that being the direction that they went with. Because, I mean, ultimately, this is a kids movie, right? Presenting that perspective, right, of you know, we're looking at this from children's perspective. I think ultimately I could see how they borrow elements from Peanuts, right, into, into here. And sort of built from that. All right. So we've been saying good things. And we've been saying some some things that I think were a little bit weaker in terms of the writing. Uh, so what do you think about us jumping into our TLDL? Too long. Didn't listen. All right. And this is a section where we give you our closing thoughts on the movie or TV series that we're talking about on our episode. So Nathan, The Nightmare Before Christmas, TLDL. The Nightmare Before Christmas is definitely a holiday classic. Now, which holiday you think it's a classic for <laughs> is a bit of a discussion we didn't really dive into into too much but overall it's fun even though disney took the name off of it because they thought it was too scary and horrific the kids absolutely love this movie my kids actually got upset at me because they came down like right at the very end and be like we just heard nightmare before christmas why didn't you call us out to watch it with you <laughs> <laughs> why didn't you come on well, no we actually told them we were going to watch it they just wandered off and i'm like okay i guess they don't want to and also they're upset that they didn't watch it i'm like oh. but it's a kids movie and kids enjoy it it's a fun 
family movie to have watch it as a group. Yeah, absolutely. This is absolutely a fun family movie. And again, I think that just looking at this film, if anything, you know, you want to look at it and appreciate the three years of work that went into putting this film together. It is there. It is absolutely there in every detail, in every shot, in every frame. There's just an insane amount of detail, an insane amount of work that went into this. And I think that this movie for me is just, again, I keep saying it, I think it's a masterwork of claymation animation. Absolutely. It's one of our last claymations and old style going out with a bang. This is definitely a masterpiece of the genre. I don't know. Kind of sad that maybe we probably will never see this technique ever again, but... Yeah, we probably won't, and that sucks. Or at least if we do, it's not going to be this meticulous and this detail-oriented. Exactly. Well, Dan, with that final thought, question of the day is, is this a Christmas movie, or is it a Halloween movie? <laughs> that Look, I'm going to decide that you can watch this movie twice in the year. In Halloween and in Christmas. <laughs> but hey, if you have very strong feelings and thoughts about whether this should be a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie, definitely let us know on Facebook at Streaming Thoughts and on Twitter at Streaming Geek. This has been Nathan. And this has been Daniel. Thank, Thank you for, for listening. listening.